welcome to Masters of Divinity. I'm your moderator, JP, and as always, I'm here with Father Chuck. Hello, I am uh, sipping some tea. Oh, come on, we all know that's pure vodka. On this, on this fine, on this fine Monday Thursday morning in, in Holy Week. Um, I thought about like trying to do the meme thing where it's like, that's none of my business. I think he just did. <laughs> and also with Matt. Hello. I don't have tea. You don't have any tea to spill? Tea. Nothing. Yeah. No. You don't want to oh, spill that tea? I plenty of tea to spill. I don't have any to sip. Spill that tea. <laughs> can, can I, can, really quick, I, that, that, that figure of speech has entered into the vernacular in the past, like that I've noticed it for the past three years mm -hmm. um, really strongly. I have no idea what it means. I, I mean, I, it, I, I get that it's sort of like, it's like dishing gossip or let's, fig let's figure this, let's, let's figure this out. It's uh, the new, new segment called let's figure this meme out. I mean, we, we could just do urban dictionary in, in this whole conversation. All right. Looking up urban dictionary. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like, I feel like spilling tea. I feel, I feel like spilling tea is sort of like, it, it's it, it's kind of triangulation. It's sort of complaining about other people, but in a public way. That's what I think it is. Okay. Well, let's let's see if you're right because I I think you kind of have the essence of it. Perhaps mm -hmm. I feel like it's something a bit more mean. Probably. Okay. Spilling tea, as as according to the Urban Dictionary. Sorry for the 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 yeah. Uh, telling the truth about something, someone to other people. Oh. It's just telling the truth. But you see, but it's not just telling the truth. I feel um, like <coughs> the second one is what upset white people do. Hmm. That feels because I don't know if that's right. Because <laughs> the instance where I think about it, this is this is a great segment. Can we just make this regular part of the podcast? <laughs> it's just it's just old old white millennial guys trying to figure out what the hell kids are saying. Yeah. Um is uh but it, it, it I think of um a few months back, um Anne Hathaway was talking in an interview about her Oscar appearance when she co-hosted with James Franco. Right. And she said, can I dish some tea? And that's when she mentioned that, so she put a little twist on the, on the phrase. Um, and she used that to kind of give like a back, like a background to the, like what happened, like a, a bit of truth while also kind of throwing James Franco under the bus a bit. Um, and so I feel that that usage has a bit of like, yes, it's telling the truth, but telling the truth in a way that only like adds that, 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 that sort of contributes to a ongoing sort of scandal or controversy. Yeah. Um, uh, but also it's like, kind of like, almost kind of like a gotcha, right? Like you think you're hiding something, but you know, we know better. Let me spill a tea on you. But what I don't know is- Like I have the receipts, you know? But what I don't know is why tea has to be brought into the conversation at all. I, know, I feel like, is, 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 isn't it actually from, from uh, RuPaul's uh, Drag Race? I don't know. There's yeah. there, there's so many things that have entered into our vernacular. Like a, that from, shows like a mean factory, by the way. And from the drag world. Like like Yas Queen. I just, <laughs> I just can't stand that phrase. Miss Vanjie? Like I just want to, whenever I see people say Yas instead of Yas, I want to be like, we get it. You've 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 hung around, you you've you've Ms. seen a you've seen Ms. a drag Vanjie? Miss Vanjie. <clears throat> the image is sort of based on the idea of like two old white people having tea, like two old white ladies having tea. Matt got snapchat. 
Sorry, he just like showed up on the train and there was no one there. Mecca. And the way he's sitting on his chair makes it look like he fell out of his chair. I did you fall out of your chair, Matt? I just I fell asleep. <laughs> he's yeah, all right. He's sick of the shit. Okay, let's. We should probably move on with the show. Uh, we okay. We that, should, we and should that's, probably start. And that's yeah, be- and that's been that's been. Let's figure this out. Uh, I I really really unironically want this to be a regular segment of our show now. Oh okay. my gosh, we have another one. We have another segment we're supposed to start ending the show with JP that we never did. I know it, it just it takes some planning, and I haven't been able to plan stuff. And we'll 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 do it. We'll do it eventually. Maybe we could try today. I don't. Know I just might know. force it to happen. I might make it happen in the middle of the show. For we could try no to reason. sort of force it to happen. We'll say like that's where we got the idea. Uh-huh. Oh yes, uh-huh. I remember this segment. I like it. I want to do it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So let's 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 jump into this uh, this topic. As you know, Easter is approaching. Easter is upon us. Unless you're you're you're, you're Episcopalian and it's like Easter week, right, Chuck? Like, is that well? Te- okay. So first of all, by the Holy time week. by the time our listeners are hearing this episode, Easter will have passed for Western Christians. It will be on its way for Eastern Christians, and then Oriental Orthodox Christians. It's like a couple weeks even further than that. Um, because they're all on different calendars, but, uh, yes, we are in the midst of what right now, as we're recording this, we are, um, it is Maundy Thursday, which is the Thursday of Holy week, which is the week that leads up to, uh, Easter day. And it is the most, uh, sacred, uh, sacred week in the Christian calendar. The whole week, like all seven days is all seven days begins with Palm Sunday, where, um, we have a whole waving of palms, and there's this big festival procession where we walk into the church singing um, singing hymns, particularly a hymn called Glory, Laud, and Honor. And then we get a lengthy reading from the crucifixion narrative in the gospel from the gospel appointed for the year. And then um, we we have a church service. It's one, it's one time where they, you don't generally get a sermon, um, or a short sermon at least, which I know people here kind of like. Um, my, sermon, um, my sermon was four minutes and 44 seconds this Sunday, and I'm... Um, but it's, uh, but that kicks off all of Holy week. And then, um, and then like for, and the, what typically happens is for uh, clergy is we usually make a trip to the cathedral to have a service where we, um, renew our ordination vows. And then, um, we receive, um, our sacred oils for the year. Cause we use them for confirmation, for healing the sick, for different things like that. The Bishop, um, consecrates oils for the year for us to use. So that's led to that being the, uh, the, 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 the changing of the oil, getting our oil changed, um, for the year. And then, um, chick engine light come on. We have to- yeah. Yeah. Um, that actually would be pretty, that'd I bet- be- yeah. But anyway, I bet our I, listeners wished our episodes were sometimes four minutes long. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Carry on. Um, anyway, so that's just a, a quick overview. And then we have, and then Monday Thursday is really where everything kicks up and it kicks off and it begins what's called the Trigium, which is the Holy Three Days. Um, um, uh, Monday Thursday is uh, the, the it, Monday refers to the word mandate, where we talk about when Jesus mandated the institution of Holy Communion. And it's a it is a remembrance of the Last Supper, um, and so we have a service where uh, it's communion service, of course, but we also do um, foot washing because that happened at the Last Supper in John's Gospel. And then tomorrow, and then yeah, tomorrow will be Good Friday. Um, Holy Saturday is usually a pretty quiet day around the church for preparation, but then um, starting at night, we will have what's called the Great Vigil of Easter, 
which um, begins after sundown and is this really long um, and incredible, beautiful um, service where we um, where we rejoice in Christ's resurrection. Um, the foot washing. Yes. Because that happened. That's the way he said that. That's all I pictured. You're like, the foot washing because that happened? Uh, who, 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 washes, who washes whose feet? Well, um, we, um, everyone is invited to wa have their feet washed and to wash another person's feet. No one's required to do it, but they are invited to come up and do so. But it is a, um, it is a thing where, yeah, if you come up to have your feet washed, you also wash the feet of the person behind you in line. Oh, so it's like a group participatory thing, not like, hey, uh, I want to take you and wash your foot. You're washing right, your yeah, yeah, you get in line and you come up and we have a whole range of like basins with warm water and, and towels and the whole thing. Oh, so what, what, do you, what kind of soap do you use? We just use water. Oh. Okay. It's Listen, symbolic. I'm not, I'm not, it's symbolic. <laughs> and, 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 and you know what, I think it's, you know, the first word that comes to my mind is awkward, but like it's probably supposed to be awkward, right? Yes, it is totally supposed to be awkward and vulnerable and all of that. And because one of these things, it's actually, a and it's actually, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I went to one before um, when Father Chuck invited a group um, years ago. And it's not something that was commonly done in the tradition I grew up in. So to go to one, I think that's the first like actual, I mean, I've seen people do the foot washing before, but the first actual like ceremony for it. I've ever gone to. Um, and I do have to say it's really powerful if you've never been to it before. It's a, a really powerful moment. And I was the awkward college student who still didn't go up because I was like embarrassed, but the ceremony was incredible. And now I'm just like kicking myself that I didn't actually get involved in it. And But, but you should go to one. It's pretty neat. Yeah, it, it, uh, either it, that or just Father Chuck was really good at the service. So it does <laughs> it does require some bravery because, especially in Florida, because everyone wears flip flops. So yeah, so well, well that's because be, we're more like biblical days. I'm just kidding. Well, and, and actually, be, it'd take more it take more bravery for me to show up after work and take my work boot off. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I think the I think half the church would pass out. It's not. Yeah, it's not good, guys. Yeah, your feet aren't as stinky. Your feet aren't as stinky uh, if you're wearing flip flops. We we did this at um, Church of the Epiphany where I worked in D.C., which was mostly homeless people, and that that was an experience. Um, sounds like it sounds like something I would be extremely shy to do. <laughs> I would just be so I would be scared. Like I, I not not because like I'm grossed out, but because like I'll screw it up. I'm gonna make someone uncomfortable. I don't want to do it. I mean, you know, just so long as you're not like you know. Going above, going above, like going like if you're like going up their calf while doing it, like <laughs> that's probably not the way to way to do it. This is how Jesus did it. Or if you're like all Tarantino about the feet, it could get weird. Yeah, Tarantino loves washing feet. <laughs> all right, this is, this is going a direction I don't <laughs> want to go. I love these um, anyway, I don't want to. I'm not trying to make light of it, but I am trying to make it funny. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're not making light of the foot washing because, like I said, well, it was an incredible ceremony. But we are making light of pop culture people who <laughs> who creep us out. <laughs> Carry on a little bit. Well, that's that's really interesting, Chuck. Uh, you know, you know, my my experience with Easter is um, you go to the, the Easter service on a Sunday morning, and then um, there's usually some sort of pageantry. 
mm-hmm. uh, there's usually like a, 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 a like a paper mache uh, tomb. Yep. Yep. And the uh, praise team sings, and they may, they may, actually this weekend there's a choir, uh, and they're singing. And once the song crescendos, a white Jesus comes out of the tomb, and with uh, with with uh, fog behind him and lights and stuff. Yep. So that's that's how that's how evangelicals do Easter, buddy. So. Uh, yeah, and then uh, anymore now you, uh, you you get a free book when you show up, or um, in some churches it's uh, you sign up you you, you get it, it, there's a raffle for a free iPad or five. <laughs> Wait, um, really? Yeah, where, all the number of churches are like. Where do I where do I go for the iPad? I think uh, Journey Church might be doing that. I mean, there's a, there are a number of like mega churches that that's what they'll do is like if you show up with your flyer. Journey like, Church, I'm on my way. Counts like a raffle iPad. for a free iPad. I want the iPad. Just for coming to church. Because- what I, I, That's what Easter is all about, guys, is my iPad. I'm going to get one. I'm willing to bet Christ Fellowship is already working on their, their paper machine, too. I know they are. <laughs> you have to let us know if they are. Uh, I, I, I feel like Christ Fellowship is, is a little more savvy than that. I feel like I feel like either it's like if they have a tomb, it's like phenomenal. Like it's like it's made by like Disney, like former Disney employees. Yeah. <laughs> or, or like Imagineers, like former Imagineers. Or they're going to do something that is really like on point graphically, um, with That's like true. on the screen. Like there's going to be some kind of like actor or, or something like that. Yeah. And I'd be willing to bet that they probably would not have white Jesus. They might. They might go that extra mile. It'll probably still be a fake beard. You know what? No, it's Christ Fellowship. I'm sure all those all those beards are real. Yeah. <laughs> those are all authentic beards. Cool. We don't do fake beards at Christ Fellowship. <laughs> Um, well, so uh, Easter is upon us, and I, I'm glad you gave us this rundown. I wish you did, because I'm always fascinated about how your church handles these, spe- spe- these specific holidays. Um, and uh, it's great because this week, this uh, on, on Masters of Divinity, we're going to be talking about resurrection. As we all know, uh, resurrection is something that happened on Easter, right? All yes, that. yeah. that's what it's about. Yep. Uh, uh, did not involve rabbits. I don't know where that came from. Um, the, the pagans, the pagans, those evil pagans. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're going to come out, we're going to talk about resurrection sort of in general, uh, just talk about like what it means to us sort of culturally, uh, culturally, um, spiritually. And then also we'll just kind of go over some, um, uh, some, cause you know, we are the masters of divinity. We like to talk about pop culture. We're going to talk about like some of our favorite resurrections that are represented in media and, uh, see where that goes. So I want to ask you guys, uh, whoever wants to go first, I'm going to throw this question out there. What does resurrection mean to you personally? Hmm. What does resurrection mean? Like the resurrection, what does it mean to me in faith? Uh, what, I, what, I love, what I love about resurrection, hmm, I'm trying to put, I'm trying to put it in words now, even though I knew we were going to talk about it. You asked the question, my mind went blank. So that's always fun. But what I think is amazing about the, the Christian belief and what I love about the, the story of the resurrection is, to me, the, the incarnation is God himself becoming man, became flesh and blood, um, and experiencing life and showing us how it can be lived and should be lived. And then he experiences experiences it to the fullest all the way out to experiencing pain and loneliness and rejection and death 
And then the resurrection is him overcoming that and saying that this can be ours too. And so the resurrection is, it's the introduction of a new, a new life, a new creation that we have the opportunity to take part in and to spread to the world around us and the opportunity to, to live out here and now um, without the fear of anything, anything, because it's all been overcome through him. And I am annoying myself that I can say something that amazing, so mundane and monotone. <laughs> well, you know, um, I don't is. know what's wrong with me right now, but that was very boring. But the story is not. <laughs> but well, you're wearing on. you're wearing a stark shirt, so it's making you kind of yeah. somber. It's your winter is here. Um, well, it, it's interesting because, uh, you know, the way you're sort of describing resurrection, you know, I think a lot of, uh, I can't think of any on the top of my head. See, of you course. sound as boring as me right now. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> you know, I'm also wearing a house start. Uh, <clears throat> uh, there, there, there's something unique about Jesus's resurrection compared to what other resurrections might be like. Chuck probably knows more about that than I do, because I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, but Chuck, maybe you want to pick up. Chuck, that. can you sound more excited? I'm, I just of bored our audience talking about the most exciting <laughs> message ever. And it's, I'm like, it's only something he's been talking about all week, but yeah. Let's let me, let me no. tell you what the greatest thing ever is. <laughs> so, 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 so yeah, this is my absolute favorite time of year. So I, so a little backstory, uh, you're growing up in the church tradition I grew up with, and I think both of you can, you know, we, we grew, we, 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 we have our feet in similar backgrounds. Um, one of the things that I, well, one of the things that I, I, uh, I was always kind of, I, I didn't real didn't dawn on me until I came to the Episcopal church is that we seem to talk so much about the cross and not so much about the tomb, meaning, you know, Jesus tomb, the empty tomb. We, we talked about Jesus's death and how it, you know, he paid for our sins. He bore the wrath, all that kind of stuff. Um, but we never really talked about then what came from that. Right. There was just a, that sense of like, look at, look at, look at what Jesus did for you. You know, there's that, 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 that song that drives me nuts. Uh, that goes, um, uh, the one like a rose. I don't know if I've talked about this in the podcast. Right I think now, we talked about it the last episode. I think, yeah, I think you're right. But yeah, so just to bring that back, like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all. That idea of, that idea of, of, of Jesus bearing the pain, you know, on our behalf, like it gets hammered so hard in that world. And that's obviously a very important thing to discuss in terms of the Christian beliefs of redemption and salvation. Um, but that's half the story is when I came to the Episcopal church and I suddenly saw that Easter was like this huge thing. Um, Good Friday was sort of, you know, it was a big deal. It was a somber day and all of that, but it was all about Easter. All the energy was around Easter and that Easter is about resurrection. It really, like, it really kind of blew my mind. And I had a humbling moment about this when I went to Jerusalem and we went to the, we went to the church of the Holy, Sep Holy Sepulchre. Is a story I know I've told on this podcast before, um, but we went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and we walked in and when we saw the Edicule, which is the, uh, the, the little church within a church that enshrines the tomb of Jesus, um, my buddy Mike like lost it. He was just like, oh my gosh, the resurrection happened there. Like He was just like giddy and excited and overwhelmed emotionally. And I just didn't have that same emotional reaction to it. My thought was, 
like, oh, I'd seen that in National Geographic before. Like, that's an actual, like, I was excited about it in terms of, like, it being a, you know, a historical thing and that I was being there, but, like, the theological weight of it just didn't hit me. And I was jealous of Mike, my friend Mike. I was just jealous of him. I was like, I wish I had that feeling. And I realized it's because I had not been nurtured with the resurrection meaning, with, with it meaning that much to us. I mean, it was, you know, it just wasn't articulated. I'm not going to say that the church I grew up in didn't care about the resurrection. It just wasn't articulated. Not a whole lot of focus. Yeah. And it just, well, yeah. And, and, yeah, and, and sorry. No, go ahead, Matt. Go. There's like a, t there's just a millisecond enough of a delay to where I keep interrupting you horribly. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, but yeah. And, and I feel like, I mean, like the apostle Paul talks about how, like, if this didn't happen, then none of nothing else matters. Like we, we don't give it any weight, but he's like, if the resurrection didn't occur, then the whole thing's pointless. Like, yeah, why, why would we even be here doing this? Um, so we focus so much on everything else. And then the resurrection is given in evangelical culture. It's given one day out of the year where we're kind of like, hey, this was cool. And then we move on. Um, as opposed to the fact that I also, I also personally, um, I don't know how to say this in a way that doesn't sound awful. I don't like the way we talk about the crucifixion um, in church a lot. I mean, I think it's important to talk about the, the sacrificial aspect of it. Obviously, I think it's important to talk about sin and how it's him taking on our sin for us. But I feel like we don't talk about it enough as the lament before the resurrection, as the cross being when, um, when Christ shows just how messed up everything is. It's him understanding how how painful and broken and destructive the world is it's the ultimate picture of lamenting crying out saying god this is this is all i mean it's him and in that moment it's him crying out saying this is hopeless where is the hope it's the lament crying out to god and then the resurrection is the answer the resurrection is here is the lament and then here's the joy and hope that we have in, in the middle of it. And right. Yeah. I mean, for, as I understand the cross from what, what, what I see in it is that it is the darkest moment in human history because it's the moment when we killed God and it is the logical conclusion of everything that we do as the story of scripture lays it out. Right. Adam and Eve, um, you know, they choose to listen to the serpent instead of listening to the voice of God. Um, which that's traditionally seen as the first, you know, the, that's an act of idolatry. And that's what makes the, that's what makes the false story in, in, in Genesis such a tragedy. And, and the way Jews interpret it is that it is, it's idolatry. And that's how we have to understand it. It's not so much about disobedience as it is worshiping something other than God. And, and in that moment, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like the story of the prodigal son that we read in the new Testament, where the, you know, the younger son, um, asks for the dad's inheritance early. He asks for his inheritance early, which uh, culturally is kind of him saying, you know, like, I wish you would hurry up and die so I can get your money. Um, and and so that that idea of, of effectively saying, you know, God might as well be dead. God's opinion, like God's words, none of that, none of that matters to me. So God might as well be dead. And that that kind of sets in motion a general attitude and a disruption within the, within humanity from the very beginning. And that the cross embodies that logical conclusion. And it's, and it is the culmination of everything that we have done. Um, you know, Jesus dies a political death, which is a, a profound thing that we, we, we've, we we're, we're blessedly getting back to an understanding of in our world today. Um, you know, he, it's the Roman, it's a Roman form of execution. So Romans enacting that on a Jewish man, um, it, it has really rich pro, uh, political significance. 
Um, and so it, it, it puts it into a thread of, of conversation with all forms of political death and political violence. Um, and to me, that's the ultimate, it's the ultimate expression of what death has done. You know, death is, death has entered into our world. So death defines so much of our world. Um, our political powers are predicated on the power of death. They wield death. And so here they go using it um, against God. They kill God on the cross. I mean, that's, 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 you know, that's the theology of the cross is that God is that God is dead on the cross. Um, but then the resurrection, like you said, Matt, it's, it, it, it's the answer to that. And it, and it, and it reverses it. It undoes it. It says, you know, even this is not powerful. Even this is not too powerful for me to remain with you, to love you, to, um, to inaugurate this new way of living. And so for me, getting to just getting, getting through all that talk about the resurrection, for me, the resurrection redefines everything. And it is fundamentally about being free, about being liberated. Um, because, you know, the idea of political violence and oppression, if, if it, if, if that death, from political powers does not have lasting power, it's really kind of empty, right? And so you don't have to be afraid of it because if death can be undone, then we don't have to be afraid of that stuff anymore. And so that fundamentally re-narrates the way in which we interact with the world and see the world. And it's one of these things for me in recent years now that I've, that I've internalized this and I'm starting to realize all the different ways that the world just sort of takes death for granted and the way that we're defined. I mean, you know, our, our, a lot of our capitalistic philosophies are rooted in this idea of, you know, taking death for granted, you know, time is short. You got to spend this money. You got to do this stuff. You got to go on this trip. You got to accumulate this house. You got to have this, you got to have that. You have to, you know, it's products. You have to consume these products in order to have a full and rich life. It's when, when you think of, when you start trying to think of life defined by resurrection, it undercuts a lot of that stuff. And so I, I just, so for me, that's the, that's the really profound and powerful thing. And what that, and what the resurrection means to me is that it is a, it is a, it is a re-narrating of the world. Uh, it is, it's in, in the, the reconciliation concept of it, reconciliation theology and talking about how that fits into like our life today and stuff. Um, a good Friday service in my head is like, talking about okay here's how everything's messed up like good friday is christ is getting on is being hung on the cross the world that we live in today is messed up um you can look at the the racial problems that we have the denial of problems that we have that um the blindness that we have to our own part we're playing in this like the good friday is here's how messed up it is and here's we get it we're sad like this is wrong it isn't right this isn't how things are supposed to be it's a recognition that we've strayed and that this is this needs to be this needs to be brought back reclaimed um reconciled and then the joy that comes on the easter story is that we can do that by going through the lament, by taking on the responsibility that both ours and the responsibility that isn't ours to say, you know what, I'm willing to accept the responsibility here regardless of who it is. And I'm going to be the one to start the change. And the resurrection is the joy of realizing that we have that ability because of what Christ did, that we can take it on and be a part of changing everything because of the fact that he took on everything, died and came back to change everything, to start it over, to, to bring in a new, a whole new, a whole new story in the middle. 
and we have the chance to do the same thing to to go and do likewise if you will um i remember that sermon chuck taught too by the way um <laughs> but yeah it's it's the idea and i know you got it from somewhere else but i'm giving you credit right now i'm patting you on the back so so just accepting but um but it's that idea the cross to me the good friday service it's the lament it's the this is too far gone. How are we ever going to be? How are we ever going to be able to change this? How are we ever going to be able to bring this back? How could we ever reclaim something that is this this far off? How can politics ever serve a good purpose again? How can race relations finally start looking how they should? How can equality be something we talk about rather than division and discord within all communities from um, the LGBTQ community to the to the African American the the white the the Asian I mean how do we how can we ever have hope in these situations when it's so fractured broken and gone and that's the lament that's the Good Friday that's the this is hopeless it's gone there's nothing what can we do here and Easter is the realization that we can do it because Christ did it it's the realization that God goes hey I walked in your shoes. I went through this. I've been there. I took it all on. I overcame it. And I'm telling you, you do the same thing. And we can take that next step just because we know he did it before us. We can take that the next step after that. And it makes me think of that, that book that pieces every step. It's not somewhere that you ever get. It's taking that next step, knowing Christ has already been here and done this. And I can take the next step uh, and pieces that decision each step along the way. And to me, that's the Good Friday, that's the Easter, that's the point to this whole message is we can play a role in bringing the kingdom of earth, I mean, the kingdom of heaven here to earth because Christ died and rose again to say that we can do the same. We can overcome it. We can take it on. It's bigger than us. It's too much for us. We can't handle it. And that's exactly why he died and came back to say, but I can, and you can take the next step. Um, and that's, that's, that's what it is. And hopefully I sound a little more excited than the first time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, regardless of your tone, it, it got even sort of, it got me thinking. I never really thought of, you know, the crucifixion as sort of like this, um, signifier of, of, of like, the, it's just something like this is possible. Like if, if, if we can kill God, then, um, what hope is there for, for any issue, for anything? You know what? 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 Why? Why even try? Why even do anything? Right. The and resurrection I, sort of says no. There is hope. You can't. Right. You can't have hope. And, right. And, and, and considering and, too and, that, I was saying, right. considering too that, like the idea of killing God. I mean, as you said, like what a what a what a, an enormous you know enormous thing and a wicked thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that even you know as Jesus says from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That even that that being forgiven and demonstrated that it's that that even this act of evil is not too powerful right that god's still more powerful than that that to me adds into this message that there's absolutely nothing then that we can't be forgiven of right um no one is no one is outside the realm of of forgiveness and redemption um for, for us. I mean, that's, and uh, even last night, there's a service that we do during Holy Week called Tenebrae, which is a, just a ton of reading. And in it is um, in a lot of Psalms and scripture, but also has some readings from um, St. Augustine of Hippo's commentary on the Psalms. And he helpfully reminds, um, he helpfully reminds us in that, that 
um, hell was created for the devil and his angels. And he says, no one, you know, other than, other than the devil and the angels, no one is, no one is beyond the scope of redemption, which I think is a, a really powerful thing for this time of year. Sorry, Matt, I interrupted you this time. <laughs> oh no, I deserved it. And I'm willing to take that on and move on. <laughs> well, you know, we've talked, we, we've talked about what resurrection means, uh, to you if, you, if you're a Christian, uh, how it's it's defined in Christianity, what it means uh, in that in that belief, um, and you know it's it's the idea of resurrection is something that is not just contained in Christianity, but is also uh, you know spread throughout all other religions and mythologies and stories uh, all throughout time. Uh, some could even say like maybe maybe. And I was thinking of this while you guys were discussing this. This could be like a totally different discussion, but like part of me kind of thinks, you know, we're talking, we're going to start talking about resurrection in like movies and stuff. Part of me wonders if like the portrayal of resurrection in movies and used as like a plot device is why so much created, there's so much more credence given to the act of crucifixion and not the resurrection because like, like crucifixion is kind of seen as like the climax and resurrection is seen as like the resolution. True. So like, you know, all the emotion and all, all, all of the, all, all, all the culminate, culminating of the story happens in the climax, which is in the crucifixion. And then, you know, he comes back to life and everything is fine. Right. So like, maybe that's why like, the focus has sort of been kind of shifted throughout the centuries is because we've sort of turned it into a narrative as mm. opposed to like, you know, just a, a group I, I, of beliefs. I also, I also think there's a bit of the um, Superman syndrome to it. Yeah. We can, we can relate, or at least we think, I can relate to the suffering and the pain and the sorrow. I can't relate to this coming back thing. Um, so it's like the Superman syndrome. I can't relate to him. He's, he's too much for me. So we relate to the, look how much he suffered for us. Look how he died for us. And then it's like, oh yeah. And he came back to life. You, you can do that too or something. Okay. Next. Like, yeah. I think that people get shied off by that one because it's a little harder to uh, right. wrap your head around if you will. Oh. There's that, and I think it's also like I, I've been hearing people talk about how. Um, where did I hear? I forgot. I think I read it somewhere or a video. I don't know. I think it's some. Someone said something about how like some some historians have said that like the biography and the biopic have actually kind of ruined history in turning people's uh, lives into stories. Um, and I think there's something to that as well as kind of the belief of like the, the story of the resurrection and things like that. And, and how it's like you're confining it to a certain formula. Right. Well, and, and, it, and that kind of gets to uh, an interesting thing about the Gospels, because the Gospels, as, in, as a, in terms of literary genre, are Gospels. They're not biographies. Right. And we try to make them into biographies. And when we do that, we, 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 something, you know, things get wrong because, you know, we get concerned of the fact that, you know, there are details that are different among all four of these canonical gospels and all of that, but that's not the point. Like they're, they're not going for, they're not necessarily going for historical accuracy or anything like that. They're not just trying to make it into a narrative there. There is, there is some intentional teaching and enshrinement of, of, of belief behind it. And so I think you're right, JP, that like that idea of sort of turning, you know, these stories into like a biopic does lose something. Yeah. Kind of, because when you're doing, when you, when you dramatize something, you're also sensationalizing certain aspects and you're turning right. things that are, that are, that have occurred into like a dramatic beat, which is supposed to have like an, an emotional 
like supposed to invoke emotions rather like, than just like yeah like when like one of the like when one of the gospels starts numbering Jesus's miracles, it doesn't mean that he only did eight miracles. He actually did. This was his first one. This was his second one. This was his third one. This was his fourth. And then the eighth one was rising from the dead. Um, it was done for a purpose, which is another lesson. But yeah, but the numbering is done for a, a symbolic purpose and point something out throughout that gospel, not meaning this was the first miracle Jesus ever did and he never anything before it and this is his second one and he didn't do anything in between those two um so yeah just just an example yeah yeah and and as as we teeter on the edge of demonizing um stories for for watering down religious beliefs let's talk about <laughs> resurrection and media okay um, our favorite <laughs> stories that use resurrection favorite um, resurrections so i want to start with matt since he has limited time so let's, let's start with you buddy what, what are your favorite resurrections my my all-time favorite one um, is an, an episode you guys did that I missed, and it is the one that caused me to start thinking about this. Yeah. Um, but my all-time favorite one is The Matrix. This is good, um, because you weren't able to join us in our little uh, Matrix chit-chat. I wasn't here for The Matrix chit-chat, but my that is my all-time favorite resurrection in a movie. Um, and why is that? Neo spends the, or Neil, as you guys have ruined my life forever, because now one of the greatest movie scenes in all of movie history is ruined as he goes, my name is Neil. I only hear Neil. I know it's Neo, and I can't hear anything but Neil now, and I hate you guys. You've ruined my life. I cried. It was, it was, a, it was a hard thing to face, but he grunts, my name is Neil. And I'm like, oh, I got it. Unbelievable. Um, no, but that movie I love. There's a lot, obviously culturally, it was a huge deal. So I'm not like the only one who said this was an incredible movie. It changes everything. But um, it also was the, sorry, dad, I'm gonna throw you under the bus. It's also the, the rated R movie that my dad snuck me out of school to go see with him, um, which my dad would never let me watch a rated R movie to begin with. So to take me to go see one was a big deal. All the rest of them, confession, if my dad listens. All the rest of them I watched at JP's house anyway. I'm sorry, as a horrible human being. <laughs> I saw them all, dad. I saw them all. Um, but he took me to go see it. So that alone was like the big bonding. You know, your dad, like, hey, you want to skip school, go see a movie with me? And then we wound up sitting in the Matrix and both of us blown away by this movie, loving it. But the movie itself, I'm going to get off the Matrix track and get to the point. Um, he spends this whole movie trying to figure out, am I what people say that I am? That's like the whole point to the matrix. Am I what they tell me I am? Am I what I think I am? Or um, do I like, where is, is it already decided for me or do I get to choose what to be? Um, and then he has the big moment where he goes to save Morpheus. They go through that whole ordeal but it's not until he's in a subway right before the scene that you guys ruined for the rest of my life when he turns to run away from um, Smith and then stops and turns back and they're like, what's he doing? And he says, he's starting to believe. So the whole movie is, in my opinion, The Matrix is about, it's not important as to whether or not he was created, the first Matrix. I don't want to get into the sequels that start explaining stuff. In the first one, it's not important as to whether or not he quote unquote is the one. What's important is that he discovers faith and decides I am the one. 
which is why the Oracle tells him you are not the one because Morpheus says later in the movie, she only tells you what you need to know. It's, it's not about what's true. It's about what you need to hear for you to, to become what you need to become. All this takes place, all this amazing stuff. He fights the age starting to believe you're like on the edge of your seat. What's going to happen now? He's like, he's the one. And then he opens a door and gets shot in the chest. Like joltingly, joltingly out of nowhere, shot in the chest. Movie stops completely. Goes from a literal running pace, chasing each other, banging on doors, jumping back and forth in edits to a completely stop on his face, shock. What just happened? Slowly looks down, bleeding, and then Matrix style gets shot like forty-five times uh, in the chest, but then. Falls on the ground, dead, and the whole thing. Oh, great. So now what's going to happen? Because this is a Matrix. We're like, we've never seen a movie like this before. We So you don't know. There was no idea in my head of how this is going to go. We've never seen anything like it. Like, so when like the Oracle tells him he's not the one, part of you is like, okay, so what's this story going to do? Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we've never seen a story play out like this at that level on the screen with the the effects and it was just an experience that you were pulled into in the theater and then to be jolted out of it by the bullet in the chest. Um, incredible, incredible moment. Yeah. But I think then, it's interesting because like, you know, most movies it's like, they really play out the reluctant hero. Like he just kind of rejects it, rejects it, mm-hmm. rejects it. And then he kind of starts coming around like, oh, maybe I am the one. And then someone of a higher authority is like, nope, you're not like, like Oh wow. I was kind of getting used to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and bullet to the chest falls on the ground, dead. The the other agent people, which by the way, can I just say the the agents? Yeah, I didn't realize until rewatching this again. They're like some of the creepiest villains ever. If you watch the first Matrix again, like that's a pretty creepy concept, and I, I was really appreciating how creepy they are. Possessing people's um, bodies. And- yeah, just jumping around into other people's bodies, and like the horror movie scene where he's running from them, and like the old lady is in the kitchen, like freaking out, and then all of a sudden she's the one who threw the knife at him. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. Love it. Um, anyways. Falls on the ground dead. They check. He's actually gone. Blah, 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 blah. But wait. The one thing nobody else could ever do, Neo rises from the dead. He stands up. And then the favorite moment is just he looks at them and goes, no. No. When they all fire the guns and the bullets just stop midair. And you're like, because I remember in the movie theater going, oh, my gosh. Like, now what did he just become kind of a thing? You know what I mean? Like. If he, you spend the whole movie finding out that if he can just cast off these like understandings of how the world's supposed to work, then his potential could be limitless. So when he stands up, you got like goosebumps the first time you saw the Matrix. You're like jumping up and down, like what's possible now? He can do whatever he wants. Like the he, you immediately remember the. Are you saying I can dodge bullets? I'm saying that you won't have to. And he stops the bullets in midair. Like it, it's it's amazing. And then fighting the agent and he just turns and he's doing that one hand like, yeah, yeah whatever. Just swatting away all his super fast punches. Um, yeah, favorite, 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 favorite uh, resurrection moment was the, the, the Matrix. And, and then Smith that, accepts him into his heart. And look, I know a lot of people, <laughs> I was getting ready to say, and you just threw that out there. I know a lot of people go way out of their way to force 
Christian message into movies. And the matrix was, was, I can't think, I'm sorry. I can't think of uh, it was, they, they like bastardized the movie and turned it into like this Christian theology message. But it is clear that when the movie was made, there was a lot of religious themes from not just Christianity, but a lot of religious themes purposefully placed in this movie. Like it's supposed to be a, a religious movie. It's just not for Christianity or the the Muslim faith, or it's not a religion. They created a religious movie to talk about the human experience of faith in becoming something. Right. Um, so to try and turn it into a Christian message makes me angry. But their resurrection moment was everything I'm talking about about our faith is what I experienced in a movie format for that is here's a world where machines taken over, where people are hopeless. So they don't, they're so clueless as to how bad it is that most people live their life slaves and don't even realize they're slaves. And then this guy rises from the dead, which unlocks unlimited potential. Like what can he do now? What, what, what's possible now that he has crossed even the, the barrier of they could kill me. It's like, no, you can do nothing to this guy. Now what can he do? Um, that to me is a great metaphorical example of what I was trying to express with the faith that we we have and the faith that we believe in. But I'm not saying the Matrix is a Christian movie in any way, shape, or form. Don't. But say you are saying that Matrix. you are saying that uh, the the Matrix is basically your religion now because you're more articulate yes, about the Matrix than you are your actual. Yeah, I got more excited about. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go rethink. Oh, priest tells you that. That's just like I know. That's wow. Just <laughs> happy Easter to me. I'm gonna go. <laughs> so that's uh, my favorite. The Easter Bunny is here, by the way. Hands Wipe down. Him. Get him on the show. <laughs> oh my gosh! Get him on the show. How funny would that be? Yeah. It's just it's That's funny. Okay. Well, that's no that. Um, that's good. I I I I want to I want to expand so much on it, but you have such limited time. You're never gonna be able to talk about the Matrix on this podcast, Matt. <laughs> like five minutes now, because I just rambled on about a non-important in the grand scheme of things resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what, what does it mean to you that Trinity brought him back to life? I mean, or do you think Trinity brought him back to life, or is it just like uh, no? no? No, I don't. I don't think Trinity brought him back to life. I think that she was just part of the the um, expression of belief and faith. But I also think, again, the, I mean, come on, again, not Christian movie in any way, but religious themes on purpose. The fact that her name is Trinity, her relationship to him in the movie is already unique. And I think that was on purpose. Like she is a part of his story in a way that's more than just someone involved. Um, and that becomes clear by her saying, you know, the Oracle told me that I'm going to love the man who's the one. So you, you have to be, you can't be dead because I love you. Um, I don't think she brought him back to life with that. I think it was just all part of the, the, the prophecy of his, his resurrection. So it's just like a dramatic moment. Right. And, but, but I think that her role in it is, I think that the important thing, literally the only thing that matters in the matrix is faith. Um, and I don't mean that in a 
Oh, faith. I mean, literally faith. You have to believe that the world that you're in is not real. You have to believe that the air that you're breathing isn't actually air, so I don't need to breathe it. You have to believe that gravity has no effect on you because these are just systems put in place to hold me down. So literally, faith is all that matters. So I think her faith played a role in it, but he resurrected himself. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a whole thing because all of it is mind it's mind over non-existent matter in the matrix. Like there literally is nothing but my mind. And so you view faith as opening your mind because that's what, because that, that's what they can try to get Neo to do. Yeah. It's, oh. yeah, I'm doing, I'm like doing the Morpheus thing and I'm like, Oh crap. <laughs> Swat your microphone. <laughs> I, I do see, I do see even in life, I see faith as I see faith as opening yourself up with, direction and purpose, meaning my faith is placed in something bigger than everything. And because of that, I can be open to, to the idea that everything's a part of it. I can talk about the fact that the, the crucifixion was for everyone, um, that resurrection was for everyone, that it encompasses all science, all like there's a, there's a concept. The church has a bad um, history of being placed fighting against science, right. but so much of faith is what draws out scientific discovery. It's the idea that this universe was created with a purpose that's far beyond what I can understand. So let's go understand it. The grass of Tyson does not, does not uh, agree with you, sir. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> it takes, it's, it's that cheesy saying, it takes faith not to believe in purpose too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think faith is opens your opens you up to experiencing more, to diving into more, to becoming a part of more, because my faith in God places everything in a context that this is bigger than me and it matters more than me. So let me take a part in 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 discovering what this new creation is. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think so. So uh, now I got two minutes. What else you got? <laughs> Chuck, do you want to expand on it or before he leaves, or do you want to like uh, just do you want to jump into world to, to your fave or um, you guys want what do you guys want to do? Um, um, my favorite resurrection moment is um, the deleted scene um, from um, Jaws: The Revenge when uh, Mario Van Peoples is still alive not, swimming in the ocean. That's not that's that doesn't. No, that's no. A, that no. Is a great time for me to say I'm out of time, guys. I've, I've got to go. Uh, my wife is literally calling for her. Oh, it hung up right when I held it up. <laughs> so it made me look like a liar. But um, yeah, that's a good that's a good okay. for me. You all talk. About <laughs> all right, dude. I'll talk about your Jaws movies. I'm going to bow out into the sunset. All right. Good journey, Matt. I, I will have a good journey and I will talk to you guys more soon. Thank you so much for sharing. JP, have, have fun raining that in. Good luck. I will. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. I'm going it in like a shark. Just like a shark. All right. Bye. Bye. Like those guys in the dock in the first Jaws. Yeah. No, I mean, obviously that is, obviously that Jaws of Revenge thing is not an actual resurrection. <laughs> um, but when I was like four or five years old, I saw that movie for the first time. Like I was very excited because the, uh, the TV version, just like the Australian edit of that movie, um, featured Mario Van people's character who is uh, seen on screen falling into the shark's mouth. Yeah. I remember my, my dad took me to see, my dad took me to see the movie in theaters yeah. and he dies. And like that affected me when I was a kid. Yeah. 
And then but, I saw it on TV, like you said. And mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, he, he's, he's alive, I guess, okay. Yeah, um, and he's got that awful accent. It's like, yeah, man. Um, um, no, but honestly though, like, I, I, I thought about that because that was sort of my, my earliest memory of what, what the closest thing I could think of to like a resurrection in, in cinema when I was a kid. Um, I will say I like the slow burn resurrection story. Okay. Where, you know, you're, you know, I like, and, and for me, um, the ones I think of most are comic book related. Um, you know, your, your, your death and return of Superman, um, which I just recently read that whole collection and, uh, his his return, Superman's return is a little bit anticlimactic. Um, they 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 don't they don't they don't parse it out well. But then you get uh, like two excellent ones: um, Hal Jordan's return, Green Lantern, um, which is kind of neat. But the, the by far the best one for me in comic books is the resurrection of Barry Allen, the original or the 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 Silver Age Flash when he um, during um, during a climactic moment in the final crisis storyline makes a reappearance after having died some 20 or so years earlier in the crisis on infinite earths comic book storyline, which was a very cool moment. I don't have any more other than to say it's just a cool moment to just see it and just think that they, they, they let that play out for so long. I mean, they had all these opportunities to bring him back and they didn't. Is it, is it because do, do you prefer the, the, the longer, it's the slow burn, as you put it. Mm -hmm. You prefer that because you, you see how it affects the world around the character? Yes. Yes. I want the death to actually mean something. Um, you know, and, and I know that plenty of critics have pointed out that Barry Allen is kind of like Tasha Yar on Star Trek The Next Generation, that they are both characters that seem to be better characters while dead. Yeah. That that there's you know, because they're dead there's more you can do with them like tasha yar was really a one-note character in the first season of next generation and then when they killed her um they it allowed her to grow and blossom as a character through her memory and and all of that um of course she never came back from the dead um uh except for that well not, she didn't come back just as that alternate timeline episode um but Which allowed some pretty interesting closure yeah but i um but barry allen's i think was great because that there's that payoff you want I, I like the idea of the status quo being a certain way. Like, you know, they killed off Batman in Final Crisis. And I mean, sort of, he didn't really die. He was lost to time. Um, so he didn't come back. Uh, he didn't really come back from the dead. But anyway, those are those are kind of the ones that come to my mind um, immediately. But then I was trying to really think about the ones that like, there's gotta be movies or something that have had like this really strong impact on me. And the one that that really stood out to me um, in, in thinking about it, is Spock's return in Star Trek Three: Re Return of Spock? Jim, your name is Jim. Yes. A, you know, a, a very, I think a very vastly underrated entry. Yes. Because, uh, you know, the, the saying is all of the odd numbered uh, Star Trek movies are the worst ones. And, and Search for Spock falls under that umbrella. But I think it's, I think it's good. It, you know, it has the misfortune of having to follow up Wrath of Khan. Right. 
but I think it's better than most of the sequels. Yes. Oh, totally. And um, and the fact and, that it's directed by Leonard Nimoy too, like he does a fantastic job. Right. It was his debut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I um, and what I I mean, it's funny they gave it to him because he was so reluctant to come back as Spock. Yeah. Um, and but that the the but the fact that the whole movie a search for Spock a color return search for Spock, the fact that 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 the whole movie plays out with this slow burn bit about you know the hints of oh he's you know his 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 um his um what's it I can't remember what the what the term is in 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 Vulcan but his um you know his sort of like mind soul whatever is is stuck with um, bones, and then and then the realization that maybe he's got a body, you know, maybe his body is being reconstituted on the genesis planet and so that whole like race against time of like we've got to move to like make this happen because you know it's that again that that slow burn of the hints and it builds an excitement of oh there like he's back there's a lot of like a lot of it's, it's costing a lot too like you know kirk just finds out he has a son and he gets murdered by one of the klingons and right the enterprise well, explodes right kirk, kirk loses he gets demoted yeah as, uh, you don't find out till you know at the end of episode or at the end of uh, of Star Trek Four that he gets demoted, but because you know it, those movies r- run right into each other. But yeah, he gets uh, he gets demoted from being an admiral back to being captain. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I really like that slow burn, and that's you know obviously I, I realize it's a very timely conversation because by the time this episode airs, it will be the week that that in game. Avengers Endgame comes out, right? Which of course is going to deal with resurrection. Yeah. Um. And I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm what I've seen from the trailers and I've been actually avoiding a lot of them because I, I really just want to experience the movie. Um, I, uh, what I have liked from the teaser though, was the idea that they're going to kind of let us see the impact of the world yeah. after this, this, this thing has happened. Um, you know, I want, I want to, you know, I, I want that, I want the death and the loss to mean something, which is where I think Kirk's death in Star Trek Into Darkness miss the mark because he dies and then it's like almost immediately reversed. Whereas I know like, you know, Matt just talked about the Matrix where the Matrix has exactly that same kind of thing, but the, Ma- the Matrix makes it part of the, it makes it part of the story, right? I mean, going yeah. into the whole thing about choice, you know, basically it almost it seems like Neo is able to choose whether to live or die. And he makes the choose to, makes the choice to live. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's the thing in Into Darkness was just why even why do it? I mean, like, I know that was the, that's such a glaring problem in that movie. It really ruins it. I think. Yeah, um, I could go on and on with my problems with that movie, but I, um, but yeah, I, I mean, in terms of, of of those kinds of resurrections, those are the ones. I mean, Superman, Superman's death and resurrection. Superman's death was huge for me. I mean, when that comic came out, I was like in fifth grade, and it just really hit me hard. Even the, like I didn't realize it was a marketing stunt, you know. I I just I thought Superman was dead, and I had grown up with Superman. And then, yeah. you know, but I didn't read the Return comics. I didn't really read. You know, I got the Death of Superman, but I didn't follow all the comics. Um, follow after this, I actually had read the Return. Like it was just one of the things. Like oh, he's back. Like a year later, it was like oh oh, he, he's back. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, it affected me too. We've talked about this a little bit before in an episode. Uh, actually, if you want to listen to our episode, it's really good. So it's called, uh, I think it's called Blankets and Capes or Capes and Blankets. Oh, right, 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 right. We, yeah. we go into, into to depth about our relationship with comic books and stuff. So I'm, I'm retreading ground a little bit, but um, that, that's really affected me too because I was very young. I didn't really understand how the comic book industry worked or anything. Right. Um, you know, I just, you read a comic book and that's what happened. 
I, I saw a copy of the Death Superman at 7-Eleven, and I just, I just kind of thumbed through the pages. I saw Supergirl get punched in the face by Tim's and her face turned to goo, and that, that affected me. Uh, yeah, that then, affected a lot of people because at that point they didn't realize that she was a shape-shifting alien. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, you saw the part where there's, there's the panel where they, they punch each other and they die. And I was like, wow, Superman's dead. It's over. Like, Superman is over. That's so crazy. Yeah. And then a couple of years later, um, I was with my cousin and we used to watch the, the, the Home Shopping Network. I don't know if that's still around. Is, this, is, the home, is yeah. QVC still around? Oh, yeah, yeah. My mother's a big fan of both of them, yes. We used to watch that a lot because every Sunday night they would do uh, comics. And they had, like, they had the two comic book experts. And they would sell comics over, over QVC. And okay. they unveiled the issue where Superman comes back to life. And they're thumbing through the pages for the camera to see. And I'm like freaking out, like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, he, and he flips to Metropolis over my dead body. <laughs> and I, like, I, I lost it. I lost it. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, yeah. I will say, like, what I liked about that that storyline is that they let Superman's death really have some weight. I mean, some painful stuff. I mean, Lois Lane having to kind of keep up the idea that keep the secret identity intact, yeah. and trying to convince people that Clark was uh, that Clark was just like lost, um, or had been undercover or something, and but she knows that he's Superman and he's dead. Um, and just harboring that secret pain. Um, the, I mean, the, the Kents, I mean, there's a whole series of panels where these parents are just, it's, it's awful. Um, 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 not Dan Turpin, but what's the other, we, we, I, I shared the panel with you, but what's his name? The, the really dumb guy in the, in the John Byrne run of Superman, um, big dumb guy. Um, oh, 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 um, there's the B, but it's like, it's, it's like, bi 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 is it Bippy? No. Bippo? Bippo. Is it Beppo or Bippo? Bippo, yeah. yeah. That he has like this whole moment where he just sort of like is talking to God after years of not talking to God. I mean, it's, oh, man, that's a, such a, it's just such, there's some powerful stuff in that. And then I feel like they, you know, but they show Superman back too soon. Like, I, I you know, I, I wish there had been a little bit more hints of him being, you know, but it, but it's, yeah. but it's still, it was still exciting. If I remember correctly, I think there was a, an issue where Pa Kent has a near-death experience. Yeah, and he interacts with with his with uh with a uh, Superman soul. Yeah, and also other Kryptonians. I think they're like the yeah. same. Yeah, I I haven't read that since I was a kid. I yeah, because the whole thing basically where like yeah, Pa is like I want you to come back, and and they're like, but he belongs with us, and it's that yeah. Um, came, that issue came in a white bag, by the way. It did. It did. I had it. I had it. <laughs> I still have it. I have the black. I still have a black bag and a and a white bag. Nice. Because there was that time where you know the the black bagged, sealed Death of Superman issue was a very valuable uh, comic book, and now um, it is basically worthless because it almost killed the comic book industry. <laughs> right. Um, well, that's interesting. I, I I had a feeling you'd bring that up because that it is interesting how a resurrection is handled in the comic books. It's it's not instantaneous. They they do. Usually, when they kill a, kill a character, it is sort of like to kind of get rid of them for a while and kind of right. let other characters flourish, kind of let the other world do its do the do the let the world do its thing. Yeah, they kind of bring it out and sort of. The, well, and, 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 and I just I just realized another one um, that is worth for me is fun commenting on because it's different. It's not a human um, Godzilla. Yeah. So in um, in 1996's Godzilla vs. Destroyer, by the way. 
by the way, you see this movie and the Toho uh, production company's official spelling of this monster is Destoroya. Um, and it bugs me. Like, it bugs me because when that movie first came out, it was Godzilla vs. Destroyer. And the fact that they like reworded his name to make it into this like Destoroya, um, <laughs> it just it feels like bad translation work and it irks me. So anyway, Godzilla vs. Destroyer. Destroyer is a monster that is uh, evolved from the Oxygen Destroyer, which kills Godzilla um, in um, in the 1954 original film. Um, the that, that series of Godzilla movies in the 90s is called the Heisei series of Godzilla movies. This is where I get really nerdy, JP. Um, and and it uh, and it, it 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 sort of leaves open the question whether or not this Godzilla is a different Godzilla or the same Godzilla back from the dead. Um, but the, uh, the 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 film ends. The 1996 uh, Godzilla vs. Destroyer film ends with Destroyer basically killing Godzilla. God, well, Godzilla sort of he. He goes into a nuclear meltdown because he's a walking nuclear reactor. He goes critical and he goes into a meltdown and he dies. He, he just, he, 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 he melts down, um, obliterates Tokyo in the process. Um, and um, it's very sad and tragic. And the movie ends with this really, you know, string heavy piece of music as um, the Japanese self-defense force um, as a contingency plan to deal with Godzilla at this stage has um, these like ultra freezing weapons that they're using on try to contain the nuclear uh, fallout of Godzilla dying. Um, and it's just very like moving and sad. And then, you know, the movie ends and the credits roll and then it has a post credit stinger um, where you see like people looking at their, their displays um, on a, uh, on the radiation levels in, in Tokyo and they're like, it's dropping and everything is uh, in, and, and they're like, what's happening. So all the radiation is being absorbed and uh, the camera sort of follows this sort of like cloud that's shrinking. And in the midst of it, you see Godzilla's silhouette. And it leaves open the question whether or not this is Godzilla Jr. because there's like a young Godzilla in the movie has absorbed all the nuclear energy from the first Godzilla or whether Godzilla somehow survived. But it's got a little little re resurrection moment. But then the series ended. They never went anywhere with it after that. Um, but, you know, being the Godzilla fan that I am, it was like, oh, there's a, there's, there's a kind of resurrection happening. <laughs> um, you know, not really a spiritual thing, but right, yeah. death and return. Um, which... Yeah, and I'm, you know, it, it, as we talk about this, it, it is such a, it is such a common trope in literature um, that it is kind of a, it is a fascinating thing to explore. Um, yeah, and you know, it, it's fascinating in, 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 in that it's so, the idea of it is so um, impactful that you know people like Joseph Campbell feel that the idea of resurrection is baked into every story. Right. Whether it's a spiritual resurrection or like a philosophical resurrection or, or something. Um, so, so JP, let me, let me, let me take over for a moment. Let me ask you what, what is, what is, what about you? What are your favorite resurrections? I, I've thought so much about this and I, I found that like, you know, different resurrections kind of mean different things. I think throughout, the whole vast landscape of the mm -hmm. cinema and television, and comics. But the one that the ones that's that 
stick out to me the most. Um, the first one is 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 Buffy. Oh yeah. Um, mainly because if, if you're not familiar, uh, uh, audience, uh, in the fifth season, uh, Buffy is given a little sister. I won't go. I won't go into explanation of where her sister comes from, <laughs> but I will say that her sister's. Uh, is, is sort of significant in that she can be used to open a portal into our dimension, which would release like a hell dimension into our, our, our world. And um, because she is made from Buffy's blood, Summer's blood, uh, she figures out that like she can close the portal herself, Buffy. And she does that by jumping off this scaffolding uh, into the portal and, and it kills her. She sacrifices herself so that her little sister Don doesn't have to die. And also it, it saves the world too. Um, what's interesting about that is that there was like a finality to it. Um, it was the end of the fifth season. It was also the last season Buffy was on WB and WB treated it as like, this is it, like there's no more Buffy. <laughs> but, what, but what everyone else knew is that it had actually been picked up by UPN. Uh, these were different networks back in the right, day. They're, right. They've been merged into one basically now. Yeah, now so, they're the CW, yeah. Yeah. Um, so when it came back on, on UPN the next season, it was kind of like a really big deal. Like they're making like Buffy's back. But what's interesting about it, and you kind of, they, they explored a lot in the sixth season. What I like the most about her resurrection is that there were so many consequences to it. Like it affected the entire world of what's known as like the Buffyverse, uh, because you find out that when she died, like her, the reason why they brought her back is because Willow, Willow's like a powerful witch. She uses her powers to bring Buffy, to resurrect Buffy. And the reason why they brought her back is because they were, they were all in this impression that she could be like in this bad, like hell dimension or something. Cause you know, she jumped into a portal and it killed her. Um, and so because she died by magic, it's not considered a natural death. Um, and so they're trying to, you know, bring her back to life. So they bring her back to life. But what you find out is that she went to heaven. Well, I haven't been to a hell dimension just of late, but I do know a thing or two about torment. I was happy. Wherever I was, I was happy. At peace. I knew that everyone I cared about was all right. I knew it. Time didn't mean anything. Nothing had form, but I was still me, you know? And I was warm. And I was loved. And I was finished. Complete. I, I don't understand theology or dimensions, any of it really. But I think I was in heaven. And then her friends like dragged her out of it. Mm. And so like the whole season deals with like her depression, like deep, deep, deep rooted depression of like basically being stripped away from heaven. And also, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the seventh season, they face off against a, a villain known as the first evil, 
is sort of like this primordial, literally the first evil, like the horrible name, but it's he's the first evil. <laughs> but the reason why he's able to, the first evil is able to re, to interact with the world and kind of, you know, you know, bring his wrath upon us is because like they changed the rules by, by bringing Buffy back to life. Like, cause she was supposed to be dead. She was supposed to stay dead, but she was resurrected and because she resurrected it. Like it just, it, it affected everything. And so I think that's why I, there's something about that, that like, you know, she was, she was, she was supposed to die in a way. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it, it was, it was a, it was, a, it was a good death. She saved someone's life and she saved the world. She made the ultimate sacrifice and she was rewarded for it. And then she was ripped away. <laughs> and like, how do you, how do you deal with that? And then how's the rest of the world deal with that? Kind of throwing off the balance of like the, of the, of the spirit world. Right. Um, you know, what does that have to do with like Jesus resurrection? I don't think it's really the same thing at all. Like, not, yeah, not, right. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it also kind of, it's also sort of a way it kind of shows me like what writers were dealing with, like, uh, of like, kind of venting like why can't characters just stay dead <laughs> you know like they're always being brought back to like right you know it's it's, a, it's like a comic book trope right like let's 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 give it some actual oh hey matt's back hey i got what he, i need to do done so i was like i'm gonna see if they're still babbling he, and you are still babbling he heard he heard he some his ears ting tinged at the fact that jp was talking buffy and he had to chime in <laughs> Ooh, buffy good timing <laughs> yeah i was talking about buffy's resurrection Wonderful, and how it, it uh, you know it it threw off like the whole world basically, and threw off all the rules, and that's why the first evil was able to come back, and and you know do its thing, and why and the whole idea that like her death was deserved and she was rewarded for it and she was in heaven and her friends basically like stripped her away from heaven, so we're back and like well, her Christian dealing with that. I think that, I, I mean, I just jumped in, so I don't know if I'm just rambling on about something you already said or whatever, but <clears throat> I think that that is the power of the, of a story of resurrection. That's yeah. what is powerful about it in faith. What's powerful about it in stories is if you can break the rules of death, then everything can change. And Buffy takes yeah. it and is kind of like, well, that also means that bad things can happen because you broke the rules, but then other stories take it and say now limitless good is possible. Like there's no limit if we can break the bounds of death itself. Yeah. So. And that's kind of my disappointment with uh, game of Thrones <laughs> Big spoilers. Sorry. Uh, but you know, Jon Snow was, re was killed and resurrected uh, in some earlier seasons. Um, but there hasn't really been any kind of consequence to that. He's still just Jon Snow. Um, hasn't really changed the world that much. Uh, if anything, the resurrection was allowed him to kind of like pursue his own like desires and his own goals uh, without any kind of other commitments. Um, but there's just no like, no, they just brought him back. Yeah, just it's to like, kind of true that like you can be brought back in this world, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it kind of was just okay. It <clears throat> it changed his life because now he's like. I'm going to pursue my own path. But other than that, you just like raise somebody from the dead and it literally has no effect on anybody. Like nobody seems to care. Yeah. Especially, especially in a world where, where like death is a huge thing in game of Thrones, like where anyone yeah. can die and it's like, it's yeah. 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 You would think like, hold on. You mean we could be brought back would have a bigger effect on the, the people there. But right. Right. <laughs> but um, no. 
but yeah, so that's that's kind of like my fascination with Buffy and how they de- dealt with her resurrection. And I thought I, th- I find it really interesting how they how they dealt with it. And, and, it and now you're stories and, and now you're talking about the, the yeah because you already said never mind. I answered my own question. You're talking about when they brought her back from the when she sacrificed herself and yeah, basically they thought she was in some hell dimension, but she was in heaven and they brought her back. And how that affected her like emotionally and stuff and right. um, how she had to deal with that. <laughs> <clears throat> um, and, and then one, not so much, I guess not so much for the symbolism because it, it's, it's kind of drawn out. Then one, I just think it's cool. Uh, Gandalf. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you, I was going to bring, I, was, I wanted to bring that one up. Yeah. Uh, when, when he becomes Gandalf the white, and he shows up with a fellowship. I mean, I'm talking about the movies because I haven't read the book yet. If oh I, man, I just wanted to say because that was the one. That was the first one where, like, where I was reading the book, and I, I like the story just sort of carried me away, and the, like the amount of excitement that I had was like, oh, Gandalf's back! Yeah. Like it was, it was, it was, it was pretty amazing to read it in the book. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. But it's just cool watching him come back, like go from like this sort of. Uh, you know, just kind of like a really typical, like kind of grouchy sort of, you know, kind of an old man, curmudgeonly kind of wizard, to like the biggest badass in Middle Earth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I think it's fun watching, and it's fun watching Ian McKellen do that because <laughs> he's right. like he's like an old man, and now he's like he's spanking everybody with his staff. Yep. <laughs> um, and, and it's also interesting. Like I, I really love um, the scene with him, and I think it was. Pippin, where they are in Gondor, and uh, there's this there's this brief, brief brief cathartic moment where Pippin is very scared because the the orcs are on the other side of the wall. They're 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 ramming through the doors, and um, he's like he's talking about how like, he's like afraid to die. I didn't think it would end this way. End. The journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path. One that we almost take. The grey rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. What? And else? See what? White shores and beyond the far green country into a swift sunrise. That isn't so bad. No. No, it isn't. Yeah, I mean, and it's the which is the description that it, and it draws from, you know, cause the, the elves are boarding boats to head to the West. And that's the idea is it's, that's death in, in their world. Yeah. Just that moment. The fact that he's like experienced death, yeah. experienced an afterlife that he could be the sort of comfort to Pippin in that moment where he, he's like, Oh, that doesn't sound so bad. Yeah. Well, and, scary, yeah. So well, and, and, and I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, Gandalf is also, he's, he's an Iluvatar. He's, um, he is a, uh, uh sorry, sorry. Iluvatar. Look at that. Is he going to react? Um, which is basically like an angel. Um, is it Iluvatar or, or, or is it a, oh, wait, no, no, no. Uh, Iluvatar is the, it's the elven word for God. 
Right. Yeah. I'm yeah. It's a, it's... Uh, he is a, uh, 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 what is it, Matt? Is it a, is it start with an F? It's a, um, I thought it was like a, my, 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 my... oh yeah. The, the Mayar. He's a Mayar. Mayar. Yeah. Mayan. <laughs> See, are. this is why I had no doubt that after I ran my errand, I'd still be able to catch you guys talking. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, I probably should have to go, actually. <laughs> I, I guess, yeah. Well, okay. Well, I, say, I guess I can't really glean too much, uh, like, meaning from Gandalf's resurrection. Because I don't think they're – it's, it's just kind of basic, right? Like, it's it's not – it's mostly just, like, it, 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 it supercharges him, right? Like, Well, I mean, but I, I, for me, it's the fact that he, he, he acknowledges that he's sent back. Yeah. And and so in, in, in that regard, he becomes it, – it's more about how he is an agent – He's an agent of God, right. and you know, and, and in this world where it feels like the forces of darkness have all the power, here comes <laughs> Gandalf the Gray. You know, now Gandalf the White to turn the tides of battle, right. and you know, and it's and then you know, he 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 finally they they see him for the first time. Really, most of them do. Or, well, Aragorn does when he leads the he leads the charge over the. He leads the what, the charge of uh, is it Rohan? Yeah, yeah the riders yeah. of Rohan oh, yeah. from, the, from the from the eastern slope. Oh, you know, the, a cool the rising sun behind them, um, and it's good. but it shows that you know that God it, it fits within those great Old Testament stories where God sort of intervenes in these moments of darkness and um, in battle, and so it's for me it's it, it's more than just a you know a beloved character died and now we brought him back um, supercharged. It's also that it it shows that. That there are there are these spiritual forces that are involved, and, it, and it's a kind of a callback to something hinted at during Fellowship of the Ring, where Frodo is really disheartened when they're trying to figure out which path to take when they're in um, when they're in Moria, and 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 um, and he basically is hopeless. Frodo's hopeless, and and Gandalf reminds us, says, you know, there are there are powers, you know, there are there are powers for good as well, or, you know, for evil. You know, active in this world, um, it's not just these, and so they're, you know, it's yeah, it's interesting. Um, another um, one I should mention is uh, Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen. When um, <laughs> no, just when stop. Sam would when, when Sam right Wiki sacrifices stop. his life, stop it, stop it, and he goes to Prime Heaven and he sees the other primes. I came <laughs> back. About I came this. back and did this to myself. <laughs> um, no, if we're if we're gonna if we're gonna mention, mention um, Lion or uh, Lord of the Rings, you should give a small nod to um, the Chronicles of Narnia and Aslan. Oh, of course, Aslan, yes. also because um, those two are Jesus. 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 <laughs> yeah, that is one where you can one hundred percent read into it because that's what it is. But yeah. just small nod to that too. So anyway, that's why I said I got nothing to say about it. I just felt like. If you're going to mention Lord of the Rings, you should mention Chronicles of Narnia because they were so closely tied to each other in real life. Give me a lip service. Yeah, just a nod. That's all. Just for the we'll, fans out there. We'll do a Chronicles of Narnia episode soon enough. Someday, someday. I'm, I, I'm, reading, the, I'm reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to Charlie and Ford right now, and they are cool. digging it. I should. Ooh, good idea. I should start reading that to my kids. Go through I the should. series. Yeah. yeah. JP should just read it, period. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you never read them, JP? <clears throat> I think I've read The Lion, Witch, The Wardrobe like years, like when I was a little kid, but I don't think I've read any of the other ones. You can cook through those books in like a day or two. Oh, I'm, mm. sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, stories, yeah. yeah. And uh, my, my, my two favorites of the series are A Horse and His Boy, and, or The Horse and His Boy, and um, I Love the Last Battle. 
seriously, seriously, if you if you if you if you want to believe in the hope of the world to come, um, read the last battle. Yeah. It is one of the most moving. I, I one of the few books that ever brought me to tears. The last battle. I'll, uh, I'll check it out. We should do an ep- like I said. We should do an episode on, on these books. We should on the really chronic what calls of Narnia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should do an episode on C.S. Lewis and Chronicles of Narnia. That'd be fun. Yeah. Um. Great. So, and that's all I have. And you know, I, I, I check out Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen. It's really good. <laughs> you get a good Easter watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> an Optimus Prime rose on the third day. Uh, <laughs> Gosh. Oh. I mean, well, Jesus, Jesus technically does transform, right? I mean, there's the transfiguration, which is the same word as transformation, right? So, so Jesus is a transformer. Plus, there's also the idea of transforming into the bread and the wine. I mean, so is Jesus a prime? Is that can we be done? Did you know that? Did you know that they're making um that they make uh, transformable um vape pens that actually work? No. Yeah. They look like transformers that turn the robots, and they also be vape pens that you use. Yeah, not uh, surprised. At all. Okay. Right. Okay. So, I th- guys, I think that's all the time we have. Uh, Matt, thank you for joining us again. Uh, thank you for resurrecting. Just in time um, to talk about transformers. Uh, so, so glad I came back. Um, <laughs> He's feeling really, a little bit like Buffy right now. Like, so glad he came yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. You drug me out of heaven to come back on this podcast. Wherever I was, I was warm. Um, <laughs> Okay, so that's all the time we have. Uh, I want to thank Chuck and Matt for always coming out here and, and talking about this this nonsense on this well, podcast. I, I sometimes come out here, <laughs> <laughs> guys. Chuck thank you so always. much. <laughs> yep, and uh, I have I have a lot of church to get to. <laughs> sure, you do. You've got a busy week, my friend. Yes, sir. And so, uh, Chuck, thank you. You're welcome. And Matt, thank you. You're welcome. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. Join us again next time and have a wonderful week. Good journey. Good. Oh, actually, I, there we go. Let me try. Uh, it's Easter time, so let me. Uh... Good journey. That's good. Matt, that was you want to follow that up? I'm um, <laughs> I'm not even I'm not even gonna say it now because now I'm just ashamed. So good journey. Thank you. Join us next week. Uh, uh, bells, like, subscribe. Goodbye. Happy Easter.